You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have Kevin Wilson today as our guest. He is the president and CEO of KM Management Solutions Incorporated. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. We're going to talk about your entrepreneurial journey. So let's start way back, like 15, 16 years ago, and talk to us about your original motivation to start your business. Okay, well, it was, it's also a motivation. Also, there was opportunity that popped up as well. Okay. Uh, being in the telecom business and in Orange County, I was surrounded by uh, early startups, like when Broadcom started and stuff like that. And I saw a lot of the people, my peers, not necessarily that worked with me at the time, but people that I had worked with in the past or I had business relationships with, I saw them taking these opportunities of all these new tech startups. And of course, I was a vice president at Use Aircraft and I was doing all the work there. And an opportunity came up with, uh, I don't know if you remember back when Use Aircraft uh, was bought by GM and then GM yes got in trouble in their car business and they started selling parts of used aircraft off. Sure. Uh, myself and six other people that were vice presidents took advantage of that, partnered with Citibank, and we went ahead and bought some of the assets out of there. And that's where we started that company. Mm -hmm. That was so successful and it was so rewarding that the rest of us, all of us, you know, you know, went and developed our individual product lines. And then eventually they were all sold off and there was only one left. And so Everybody that started the original company sold off and moved on, and they all started new companies. One, one of them retired right off the bat, but the rest of them went on. Uh, so seeing that there was opportunity at the time that I was given an opportunity because, you know, I was fortunate that uh, GM was in a position to do that at the time. And also then I was working in the telecom business, which was pretty hot at that time. Uh, so I, I looked at that and I just thought, you know, the, the effort to put in towards that will reward yourself directly rather than doing all that effort and just hoping you get a good review at the end of the year. <laughs> I, just, I just decided that that was the way to go. Sure. And it just turns out and, you know, it's, you know, there was some, uh, you know, luck involved with it, but I wouldn't say that you have to have that to start it. Um, it just felt that I could do the same things. I maybe work a little more hours but there was much more rewarding and the relationships you build along the way also branching out and getting these things help you as you go along as well so am i correct in that the company that you you were part of that spun out of hughes was pelomar is that that's correct that's, that's correct and, and what did that company do well it was a hodgepodge of things so palomar bought out all the little divisions or products that uh, gm was no longer interested so they did assembly and test equipment. They did telecom equipment. They did uh, naval and air force uh, communication systems. And uh, oddly enough, they did high, high, uh, bright, high, bright displays for cars. You know, LCDs sure. Sure. you can see in the sunlight. Uh, so there was this collection, and then the one that was most successful. They, uh, I don't know if you've uh, seen those little HID devices, the little proximity things to get indoors. Yeah. 
that was a loss leader out of use <laughs> when we took it and they used profits from what I was running to keep it going. And we ended up selling that to Asa Abloy for 300 million only a couple of years later. So, so, so there's a, I don't mean to interrupt you, but there's a great, for those that may still be a part of a large organization who haven't taken the entrepreneurial leap yet, like Kevin and I have done, there's, there's sometimes a very lucrative opportunity in finding undervalued assets in large companies and seeing if you can't create a business out of those undervalued assets. Because what I found, Kevin, you tell me, when there's a competent management team solely focused on driving success in those previously undervalued assets, it's amazing what that team can do with the same technology and, and people. Yeah, it is. I, I, it's, you know, I wouldn't say that Hughes was not interested in it, just, or, or I'm seeing GM, I'm sorry, that they were not interested in it, it's, it, but they look at all their things. They were getting rid of cash uh, loss leaders. So that even if they knew they could sell that later on for a lot, it didn't matter. They were just trying to get rid of things and get cash. So yes, it is true. There's and this is this is one of the other things I've done prior. You know, as I went along, because I've done four different companies in this hmm. time frame, was I would look for things that were struggling or just weren't being managed right, or people didn't realize the interest in it. And there was a lot of it because there was a lot of VCs at the time. They were putting money into tech companies, but they were looking for a quick return. So they weren't patient enough to stick it out with them. And then, of course, people like me and you come along and say, well, I'll take it. And yeah, OK, maybe it takes three or four years. But after three or four years, you're doing really well. Mm -hmm. And what can be seen by someone, a company like GM, as a small business from an entrepreneur's perspective can really be a significant middle market company. And that's such a great thing to take versus going out and starting from absolute zero, right? Absolutely. Yes. I don't know how much the revenues of Palomar were when you first put it all together, but it probably was tens of millions of dollars, I would expect. It was a it was I'm I'm guessing, I can't remember, but I'm sure it was in the sixty to ninety million area. Yeah. And so for a multi billion dollar company, that's like noise. But to entrepreneurs, uh, there's a lot that can be done with a $50, $60 million business. Yeah, the, the funny part was, is one of the things we tried to get was a, that I worked on a little bit was a thing called Sky Cable. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't sell that. And that turned out to be DirecTV. <laughs> See, the, Hughes created so many. Uh, uh, they were a research think tank in, in addition to and a research lab in addition to a commercialization companies mm -hmm. great yeah. great product great company with a great history here in southern california uh, right. sorry to see them go as a as a separate entity in many ways but let's talk about km management solutions incorporated what is the business what product or service do you provide and who do you help who do you do it for who you, who's a good client it's different than when we started but right now what we are is we're an engineering development company in telecom and a little bit of commercial electronics. And the, the reason we have this business model is as we started out, we had a lot of telecom experience coming from Hughes and Palomar. And we started doing new things. And we said, why were we doing that? Well, Palomar and anybody and Hughes at the time was not interested in those areas. And I wanted to go that way. That was another motivation that I saw some of our technology could take it someplace else. We originally started designing telecom equipment and telecom is kind of a, a, a strange business where 
newcomers, you know, the telecom companies like Verizon and Alcatel and AT&T, they insist on that your company have have fielded equipment prior to get in there. So there's a little catch 22 about if you're a new person, how do you get in there? Right. Well, what you do is you run around and you find the smaller uh, telcos that are willing to take a chance at a low price and you kind of, you know, uh, risk it a little bit to get something in there. Well, the very process of doing that, our company became well-known for the technology we were doing. So we were well-known in AT&T. We were well-known at Bell Atlantic at the time, Alcatel and AT&T. And we started developing equipment for them. And it was small stuff. And one of the other things that we found out is that the way the telcos get what they want is they always tell you, okay, if you want a big contract, you have to have your design in escrow in case you go under. So, okay. And then they come up and say, we're going to give you a $100 million contract, but you need to lower your price by 20%. Lots of people take that to get that contract, but they end up in trouble and go under anyway. I didn't want to do that type of thing. So we kind of did little contracts until I finally realized that we were had such a good reputation within the telcos that we could develop technology and start shopping that to them. So like we would go to Cisco and say, hey, you guys are trying to develop this. We got that. Hmm already and so they look at it and go okay they make a decision and they decide okay these guys we can buy this technology well we did that a couple times you know maybe five or six times until they started calling us and saying hey do you do this type of thing hey do you do that type of thing what about this and so half the business got to be where we were taking development contracts and developing stuff for them the other half was is that internally we would think about the future what technology is going to take hold and on average, over about a 15-year period, about four of the things we developed, out of four things we developed, two and a half of them were successful. The other ones just went nowhere. Mm-hmm. But it still financially worked out. So it pretty soon got to where we started to act like a skunk works. We didn't want anybody to know what we were doing. So we took our, our website down and said, and because we didn't need to go find anybody. They were all coming to us. It, was, it wasn't like we were advertising and selling our services. And we specifically didn't want anybody to know what we were doing. Like we didn't want to advertise that we we're working on this new technology for voice over IP or anything like that. We went, we developed it in the dark and then we shopped it to the big guys. And that that way, no one else would get the idea. No one would compete with us. And that seemed to work out. Mm-hmm. So right now, that's what kind of what we do. We live on our reputation and we just develop technology based on our reputation. Are you still focused in the telco space? Yeah, telco, uh, mostly... Yeah, it's all telco and there's some commercial, there's some uh, 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 consumer electronics stuff because at one point we were developing entertainment systems for the big uh, five-star hotels. Mm -hmm. They wanted a turnkey solution. I said, okay, now we're going to have to do the other. We we could deliver it to the house, but now we have to worry about making it work in the house type of thing. So we kind of deviated a little bit there. Uh, But most of the stuff, so that was all designs and technology we sell. We didn't... We quit selling actual equipment and getting out of manufacturing probably within four years of when we started, within the four years of the time we started the company. Why? Uh, at about time, if you remember, it was when was the kind of near recession? Is that like uh, 2007, 2008, somewhere around that area? It got tough. Uh, dealing with China was tough because now they were, um, unless you were a real big person, you couldn't buy stuff. So, I just decided that I didn't want to deal with the labor problems and the cost of materials and the dealings like that, that if we sell 
we sell our technology on license, we get the same amount of money for every unit sold, no matter what's going on in the world. Hmm. Uh, and so if we had built our own equipment, we'd have to worry about what was going on in China at the time. Whether So our profits would go up and down. They'd go anywhere. They'd swing anywhere from near, as low as 10% margin up to 50% margin. But with the license, we don't have to do anything. We just get money. So, so. And was that decision a strategic, internal, organic decision? Was that a marketplace decision? Was that, how did you... Because that's a big change in your business model from being a manufacturing company to a licensing company. I'm just curious if you could take us back to that moment in time. What was the genesis for it? I think it was mostly that the struggles associated with manufacturing product, just from the standpoint of worrying about world events, China and where all this stuff is coming from, plus the telcos. Remember, I was telling you, they you have to have something in, in you know, you're very restrictive. It's very difficult. Plus, they like to kill you. They, it's very, you can get a hundred dollars. <laughs> they like to kill you. It's, if you saw the statistics of how many companies jumped in and then just went away from that, that, so I said, I don't want to be doing that all the time. I'm going to have an ulcer or die of a heart attack or something. Sure. So I, I also noticed at the time also that there were so many of these big tech companies that were not bothering developing things. They were just buying up smaller companies. Mm. So I said, okay, should I position ourselves to be bought? And I said, no, because we, we make certain amount of products, but we have technology that expands over a lot more opportunities. So I said, I, why don't we try set shopping our technology to them? Because then all we have, our costs are just whatever energy need, our labor costs for engineering. We don't have to buy material. We don't have to act like a credit bureau. We don't have to, do any of that stuff and we don't even have to have spend much time in marketing because they they they, they know us they come to us so we, there's not trying to convince anybody all you have to do is go to them and say here's what you got and they decide whether they need it or not so um to put a bow on km management solutions you know technology the rate of change many times accelerates in the technology space i'm not sure how that applies to the specific technology that you're licensing and developing but over the arc of the 15 years that you've been running the firm, um, has the rate of change internal to the business relative to the underpinnings of the technology? Has that been accelerating? Is it steady state? Just give us a sense for the challenges it's, that you face. It kind of is cyclical. It sometimes okay. it starts to go up and then it lulls and it goes up and lulls. So my engineering team is I've got a core number of people, but I contract out uh, for anything above that core because I can't keep a big team employed constantly throughout that time. So we kind of keep our core people and as business opportunities come up, we kind of contract a little bit just to fill it out. Mm -hmm. Has that been, a, I know that engineering talent is increasingly in demand. Has, mm -hmm. Have you found it challenging to find the kind of people that have the distinct skills that you need? Um, it was what before we had things like Teams and Zoom and all that kind of stuff. Uh, now, almost 80% of our people are uh, working at home. So I can I can bring on talent anywhere from the world, you know, it's, it's which is a lot different than worrying about grabbing, having someone sitting in Orange County having to come into an office type of thing. Right. And it was also difficult that in the same area where Broadcom and Qualcomm exists, right. it's very difficult to get quality people because that's where they're at type of thing. So. Right. Yeah. Working for the big guys. Interesting. Yeah. But you, you found your niche and you keep, you keep mining that niche with your business model. Congratulations, Kevin. I'm wondering 
other than being an entrepreneur and the president and CEO of your company, do you have any outside hobbies? Yeah, I think we, uh, you know, I race cars, sports cars. I take my life in my hands, you know, throughout 12 times a year. So uh, that I do that a lot. I also train for triathlons and do that. But as I get older, that becomes less and less of a thing to do. Sure. So what got you started on race cars? As a little kid, I go-karted a lot and we okay. raced everything. If it, you know, everywhere we went, we were racing <laughs> everything. And so we did go-karts a lot. And then when I finally... Uh, got enough money to buy my own sports car, which was a long time ago. I bought a little Fiat 124 and raced in the Sports Car Club of America. Did that a while until the kids came along and now you have, you know, you don't have money to race anyway. Racing is very expensive. Yeah. And so that kind of lulled a little bit there. But then about in the early 90s, I got a, a Porsche 993 and started racing in the Porsche Owners Club. And then as that progressed and my business got better, I got to get better and better. And as now I got a monstrously fast car that's very expensive that, that I race. And you said 12 times a year? Uh, on average, it's, we don't race during the summer because it's too hot. So okay. these races, you can race in like Porsche Owners Club or Porsche Club of America, or there's even something called NASA, which is another uh, organization. I don't really race in SCCA because it's too crowded. Um, but yeah, on average, and that this is affording it too, because it costs so much to run a car in a weekend. So you don't you don't get you don't race during uh, July and August, and so you usually have at least once a month, and sometimes two a month, and then any, across all these organizations to do it. it that sounds uh, like an interesting, and you've said it several times, an expensive hobby. But mm -hmm. at the end of it, what is the reason that you do it? What do you like about it? Oh, I just love racing. Racing sports, the cars are just just the funnest thing I do. I, I race jet skis too, but that tends to uh, get me hurt more often. <laughs> That's probably something you do do in the summer, I would think. Maybe uh, not. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you like speed? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's and a it... competition as well. There's it's something about uh, always wanting to, to go against someone else to see how you can do. Yeah. And, and that's great for keeping your dexterity and your hand-eye coordination, I would imagine. And probably your decision-making has got to be a big factor in probably being a successful race, race car driver is the quality of the decisions that you're making out on the track. So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So if someone would like to learn more about you, where would you say they go to find out a little bit more about Kevin Wilson? I think that LinkedIn is probably the one place. Okay. It's all there. And then if you want to find out more, there's information there to how to contact me or something like that. I'm not really that big into social media stuff. So you won't find much of a presence on Facebook or any of that type of stuff. Do you have a website now or are you still dark on that front as well? No, we're, we're, we're dark. We're, we're happy to just uh, take phone calls from the big boys and, and do our work and not okay. to, Mostly, it's mostly because we really don't want anybody to know what we're doing. We don't want to give anybody anybody's ideas. That's interesting. That's a very interesting philosophy. And I'm glad you were here today to share it with our audience. So thank you for the time and being a part of our program. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. I'd like to thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Kevin's episode was episode number 1389 in our catalog. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you would like to share your story, then connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Rick R-I-C.
Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. Coincidentally, that's my website too, rickfranzi.com, if you'd like to learn more about what I do. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction.